long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, of him, to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, we thank you. For your word. Lord, we thanks for the chance to gather together this morning to worship you and to hear from your word and to share your word. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us this morning that we would be convinced even more or convinced and see the truth of your word, the sufficiency of your word. Lord, I pray that it would just be greatly helpful to us so we would see Jesus for who he is. He draws to yourself. Lord, praise be those who are unable to be here this morning because of sickness or physical or emotional difficulties. I pray you just give them great grace and protect them. Lord, help us just to glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's an old poem by John Clifford that says this. Last eve, I paused beside the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil Ring, the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers, worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word for ages skeptics' blows have beat upon, yet through the noise of failing blows was heard. The anvil is unharmed. The hammer's gone. Is that how you feel? And that is your understanding of the Bible? Is that your practical reality when it comes to the Bible and to scriptures? That no matter what people may say about it, whatever the skeptics have said about it, it it stood the test of time and it is the word of God that is sufficient. Have you ever wondered if the Bible really can help you with your greatest problem? You're okay with the Bible. You're happy with the Bible. You even think it's a good book. You're in favor of it. That's not what I'm asking. Do you really believe and have you been fully convinced That the Bible can help you with your greatest, deepest problems. Have you felt a desire sometimes to change something in Scripture just to make it seem less odd with the culture 
that you live in? Have you ever wanted a more direct revelation from God? If, you, if God would just say something to me, if you just speak to me, then I'd really be able to believe them. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wished that way? If you ever have, which I think many and most people have, the question that you're dealing with is you're struggling with the sufficiency of Scripture. Is the Bible really um, sufficient? Here's a definition of what we would say we believe about the sufficiency of Scripture. Wayne Grudem says, We define the sufficiency of Scripture as the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. Our struggle, which I think if we're really honest with ourselves, if you're really honest with yourself, our struggle, we all struggle, have struggled, I think, at times with the sufficiency of Scripture. Is God's word really enough? And I think our struggle comes from just the mess that we see in life and also sometimes just the monotony of life. Because we, we look around the world, we look at our own lives, we look at the news, and things just seem really messy. It just doesn't seem like... God is in control sometimes. It seems like there's just too much chaos in there. And can it really be that Scripture is the answer? God's Word is the answer. And so we just see this big cultural gap that, that, that this is the truth that we would say, and it just people don't see it to be true. There's all kinds of things that just make things very messy. And we start to question, is the Bible really sufficient for us? Is it really the final word of God for everything that we need? But the other area that we sometimes, I think, see the struggle with is just in the monotony of life or just this commit contentment crisis that I think we all struggle with. We, we struggle unbelievably to be content even though we live in a culture that has unbelievable amounts of abundance. And more and more and more we get very bored with life. Even as Christians, and maybe you were younger and you loved God and you loved His Word, had great impact on your life, and you just thought, God's going to use me to change the world. Or God's going to use me in a, in a way. And now you're 25 or 35 or 45, and you think, well, what, what have I done with my life? It just seems monotonous. It seems a struggle. And I think this is not unusual. And especially in a culture where we, we hear constantly about this idea that you have to have this radical faith. Be radical. If you're really going to live for God, you've got to really be absolutely radical. Be sold out. Be extreme. And for years, church youth groups have worn out those words. And they told a whole generation of teenagers, you've got to constantly be extreme. They come up, come up with better adjectives to try to rank up some excitement. Which I think in some ways distracted from the reality of the sufficiency of Scripture. And one girl talked about it like this. Tish Harrison Warren said when she was 20, she went to, grew up in church, she went through youth group, she went on mission trips, and she loved these mission trips. And they're, they're, they're good. Mission trips are absolutely great. And she loved serving kids in Africa and helping poor kids who had absolutely nothing. But now she's in her 30s. She's a mom with little babies at home. And this is what she said. After, after spending time in various radical Christian communities, 
her ordinary life became a big struggle for her. She says, now I'm, I'm, now I'm a 30-something with two kids living a more or less ordinary life. And what I'm slowly realizing is that for me, being in the house all day with a baby and a two-year-old is a lot more scary and a lot harder than being in a war-torn Af- African village. What I need courage for is the ordinary, the daily everydayness of life. Caring for a homeless kid is a lot more thrilling to me than listening well to the people in my home, giving away clothes, and calling my mother back when I don't feel like it. And the question that she was talking about is, we we emphasize all this extraordinary, unordinariness of life, but then when we live really in a very ordinary, often monotonous life, and then we wonder, is... God real? Is the Bible true? Is the Bible really sufficient for this ordinary life that this live? And there's this cultural gap that we see, and there is a monotony, and I think a commitment and a contentment crisis that we feel that sometimes takes away from us this sufficiency that we believe God's word is true and is sufficient and is the final word that we need, which is why it says in Hebrews 2.1, therefore, We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that word drift this morning, I hope, in a sense, will scare you if you're a Christian. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. It's very easy to drift away spiritually. A couple of years ago, two of my cousins, who were just a couple of years older than me, were with their cousins, all of a group of my cousins, went up around Memorial Day in May up into Minnesota to have a long time or family reunion, just all cousins, all guys, a big fishing trip up in northern Minnesota, and they were canoeing and fishing for about three days. The last day that they were supposed to be out, they they went out one more time, and my cousin Mitch and his brother Mick were on the same canoe, and they'd been having a great time all weekend. And one set of my cousins were on this side of the river, and Mitch and Mick were on this side. And so they said, hey, let's hop in, go over the other side. So they got in their canoe like they had done for days, started to canoe over, and somehow, they don't know why, the canoe tipped and Mitch was able to grab onto the canoe, but Mick wasn't. And Mitch said, all he remembers is seeing his brother just drift away. And there was nothing that he could do about it. And he died. He drowned. And that's what this verse, put that picture in your mind when it says, therefore we must Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Is God's word sufficient? Because there's many things pulling us away. It's very easy to drift away, to say, is God's word really all that I need? Is it everything 
that I need. One of my favorite shows I like to watch is Treehouse Masters. Maybe you've seen this show. This guy is in love with treehouses, and he builds treehouses all over the place. And what he does, every treehouse has the same thing over and over again. They, they, at the beginning, they will take this uh, drill, and they'll drill into the tree, and they'll put some kind of um, post in there to hold the beams up. Every treehouse he makes looks different, but that is uh, one thing that he always does, because without that foundational thing... The treehouse won't stand because the trees move, the trees shake. And the beginning of the year for us, last week and this week, we would have just been talking about the Word of God. What's going to be the foundational things for us that are going to help us get through life when difficulties come, when crises come, when there's confusion with our culture, when there's just the monotony of life? What's going to get us through? And I hope this morning... That as we look at the sufficiency of Scripture, that that will do this for you. That it will drive a very deep stake into your heart and into your spiritual spine. You'll see God's Word as it is sufficient. Is there any solid basis for us to believe that the Scriptures are sufficient? That God has given us a full and final Word for our faith and practice. Is Scripture able to address your deepest needs? Cultural says, no. Our culture says, I don't think the Bible really is that sufficient. Maybe you feel that this way. Maybe you know people who feel that this way. The people would say, the Bible may have some good things to say, but come on. It's a very old collection of books. I mean, it was written 1,500 years ago by many different authors. It's just been collected over time. And even though it's got a lot of really good things to say, and there's some great points, but come on, it's, it's outdated. I mean, some of that stuff that they talked about in the Old Testament, seriously, how can you say the Bible is sufficient for everything that we need when there's, our, there's just so many things that are archaic to this day, and we know that they are archaic. And there are a lot of questions that people can bring to the Bible. There's all kinds of them. But just because people can bring a question to the Bible doesn't mean that there aren't answers to those questions. And if you can answer the question in a somewhat uh, clear way, you can't say the Bible isn't sufficient. And there's a lot of questions. And there's a lot of problems that have. So we don't have time to look at all of them, but you can look at them. I just want to mention two, because we may meet people like this to say, hey, before I even go even any further, there's some big glaring things from the past that kind of we should talk about. And one of them is people would say, doesn't, doesn't the Bible, and especially in our culture with all its craziness with sexuality, doesn't the Bible, didn't it allow for polygamy? Wasn't that what the, didn't they have multiple marriages in the Old Testament? How can you say that this is a sufficient book when clearly it talks about polygamy and it's just that's archaic and the Bible does not condone polygamy. The Bible records polygamy in the Old Testament. It records it, but just because it records it does not mean it approves it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife. One, And the rest of the New Te- Old Testament, when it talks about polygamy, if you read it and if you look at it, 
It never is giving it a thumbs up. It actually paints a picture of unbelievably miserable guys wondering why in the world they married more than one wife. And there's all kinds of problems with it. That's just one. But there's probably a bigger one that people would say. And maybe you've heard people talk about this or maybe you think this this morning. And it really is the issue of slavery. Well, doesn't the Bible condone slavery? And most people, when we talk about slavery today, the first thing that we think about in our culture is the slavery that took place wrongly against African Americans in the the South and in our country hundreds of years ago. And no, the Bible does not condone that, even though people try to use Scripture back then to do that actually in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and Deuteronomy chapter 24. 1 Timothy in the 1 in the New Testament and Deuteronomy 24 in the Old Testament. Both of those say that slavery in the sense that we think of it is wrong. Absolutely wrong. You say, well, there is slavery in the Old Testament. There is slavery in the Bible. But there's a kind of slavery that it was talked about. It's different than the kind of being ripped from your home and then sold and then treated poorly. The kind of cultural slavery the Bible talked about was almost like, is more like bankruptcy law. Where people were bankrupt, they had to pay their debts, and the only way to pay their debts was to go work for the person that you owed. And as you worked for that person and paid off your debt, you were in a sense a slave. Slaves, though, even in the New Testament, they were treated very well. They were, I mean, many of them were highly educated, and some of them were so much loved the people they worked for that they would have a nail bore through, uh, pierce their ears because they wanted to keep working for them. It's a different type of system altogether. So when you hear that the Bible had slavery in the Old Testament, and the Bible's archaic, it's not true. You have to ask better questions than that, and then deeper questions than that. That's just two of many, many questions and issues that people could come up and say, hey, how can the Bible be sufficient when it's archaic? It doesn't even make sense, and there's different ideas. Listen, ideas and culture change. 40 or 50 years from now, people will look back at us in 2016, and we think we are on the cutting edge of technology. We think we are all that and know everything. They're going to look at us and say, what a group of fools. Can you believe they actually believed that back then? They actually thought that way? But the truth of Scripture is the Bible has remained consistent and relevant and will remain consistent and relevant for generations and for generations. So there are cultural issues and there are problems that people can bring up to the Bible. But you have to ask better questions and ask them better questions and try to find out the issues. And it can't just be tossed out that simply. But there's a bigger problem, I think, even just with cultural issues. And I would say it's a Christian issue with the sufficiency of Scripture. George Gallup and Jim Castelli, in a recent survey, found said this. They said, America, Americans revere the Bible. In many cultures, in many societies... Even in the East Coast, there are great pockets of people who still have high, somewhat high favorable view of Scripture. They would say it's got some good things to say. They're not totally against it. They don't follow it for their life, but they kind of revere it. And they said Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't read it. And because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. 
Now he's talking about Christians and Americans. Fewer than half of the adults in America can name the four Gospels. And many Christians can't identify more than two or three disciples. And 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. We are a culture and a Christian culture who lives in unbelievable freedom, who don't even know the Bible, who are illiterate with the Bible. I want to ask you to raise your hand if you could answer those questions. But we have an illiteracy of Scripture in the church, in our own culture. So we can criticize the culture for not wanting to read or believe the Bible, but the problem is Christians aren't reading and believing the Bible and finding it Sufficient. J.I. Packer said this, If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. And what do you find, though, if you do? What do we find if we do look into what Scripture has to say about itself? The first thing we will find, or one of the things we will find in the first thing, is that God speaks That's what the whole point of the book of Hebrews is. It says, God speaks long ago, at many times, and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke. We have a God that speaks. The first verses of Scripture is God speaking in Genesis. He spoke the world into existence. In Hebrews chapter 1, it's saying, God says, in many ways, long ago, and in many times... God has spoke to our fathers. And his, his revealing work, and what, he, what it says is, in the Old Testament, long ago and in many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Which means, that word many ways means in pieces. And, and many pieces, from the beginning of time, as God was revealing his redemptive work, he didn't tell them everything that he needed to know, but he would share pieces with them. He, he talked to them in many different ways. That's why he could talk to Moses in a burning bush. He could talk to the prophets through the written scripture. But he just gave them little pieces all the way along. But the truth is, God has always been speaking. And God has always been speaking to humanity. God speaks. But it gets better. He says, but in these last days, which just means that this final thing, this finality is is coming. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Which means God spoke in many ways, but they were in pieces. Not a complete, clear picture. But then God spoke in a very specific way. And no longer did God speak in pieces. But God spoke fully and completely. And we know that because Jesus is the way he spoke. It says he sent Jesus to speak, and Jesus is the exact imprint of God, the exact imprint of nature. If you want to know what the Heavenly Father is, you want to know what God is like, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, because Jesus is the exact picture of God. And God spoke fully and completely through Jesus, through his death, his burial, his life, death, and his resurrection. The ultimate picture of everything that we needed to know, God spoke through Jesus. And then Jesus sat down, which is even more of a sense of its final. The final word of God has been spoken. 
which means Jesus is superior. Jesus is God's full and final act of redemption. Jesus is God's full and final revelation of himself. From the beginning of time, God created the world, and he began to reveal himself in pieces, and he talked to people in different ways, visions, dreams, used all these different things. But then at the end, it was all, it was all coming to the point, and the point was he was going to speak one clear, final word through his son, Jesus, and he did. And now, we don't need any new revelation from God to find out how to find salvation, how to be right with God, how to live life the way God intended it to be. It was all said through Jesus, and Jesus sat down and finished his work. Jesus is superior. And the whole book of Hebrews is trying to show that Jesus is superior. He's better than the priest. He's better than the Old Testament. He's, better, he's the better one. Jesus is the better one. It's the whole point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is superior. And if Jesus is superior, and he is the final word that God said, Jesus is the word, the Bible says. And then he gave his word through Scripture. The word of God, the Bible, is not Jesus. But Jesus is what we learn from Scripture, the final word of God, which means what Jesus says and what Scripture says about Jesus is superior and final. The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that everything we need to know about life is found in Scripture. You're not going to find out how to TiVo something by reading the Bible. But the proper way of how to live with TiVo and use TiVo, you'll find in Scripture, because everything is controlled and held together by Jesus Christ, and everything in our lives should in some way relate to Scripture. The Bible is sufficient in all these areas that we need to know. So God spoke in many ways in the past, but then God spoke in a final way through Jesus. But God still speaks in specific ways now through Scripture. That's what Hebrews 4 says. God still speaks. He's just not sharing new revelation. There's nothing new about God we need to know to live our lives. There isn't nothing new that is not already been told in Scripture that you need outside of Scripture. God still speaks today. But he speaks to us through his word. God, and he also speaks through many different ways through his word. But the basis of how God speaks is through his word. So it means everything has to be evaluated based off of God's word. That's the standard to know if God has spoken or not. So if you go to bed tonight and you have this great dream and it's unbelievably vivid and you see things and you feel things, you wake up in this cold sweat and this warm, fuzzy feeling and you got the tingles about what God's going to do in your life, you better take your tingle to the text of Scripture. Because if your tingle doesn't make, match up with the text, your tingle's wrong. No matter how real that feeling may be. George Whitfield was a famous preacher, and he, his wife got pregnant, and he had a son, and he said, and he had this deep feeling that God was going to use and raise up his son to be a great preacher of the gospel like him. 
Well, a few months after his son was born, his son died. And George Whitfield wrote, he realized that he allowed his feeling to be more important than Scripture and trusting what God has said in his word. You have to test everything through Scripture. God still speaks to us. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12. For the word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. But it's got to be tested. It's, it's the word of God. It speaks to you. It speaks deeply to us. It knows us. It can pierce your heart, which is helpful for us because some of the things that the Bible says is bad news for us. Because the Bible tells us that we're sinners, separated from God, that we have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. It tells us some very hard things. It tells us if you lie, if you steal, if you lust, that you are under the wrath and curse of God. But it also tells us very good news. It tells us that God rescued us and that he loves us. And if we don't trust and believe that God's word is God's word and that Jesus is the word of God, we're going to miss the truth of Scripture. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sometimes you wake up and you don't feel like you're a believer You don't feel like you're a Christian at all. You feel like you're weak. Your feelings are dead when it comes to the things of God. You just don't sense it at all. What are you going to do? You're going to say, oh, well, I must not be a Christian. I must not have any hope anymore. No. You go to the sufficiency of Scripture. It says, my heart and my flesh might fail, but God is the strength of my heart. And you hold on to what Scripture says about itself and about what Scripture says about you. Scripture has the ability to cut right into your heart in a good way. Like a surgeon's scalpel, cutting things out that aren't needed to be there. But you have to accept it to be true. You have to trust that God's word is true. Because that's what it does. It works deeply. Some of you may never have had that experience before. You've read the Bible, you've looked at the Bible, and it's absolutely always been boring to you. Part of the reason why is maybe because you've never met the person who the Bible is talking about. Scripture is not just a book, it's the living word of God pointing you to a person in Jesus Christ. And some of you, it's been a long time since you've had that, but you remember it. You remember one time you woke up in the morning, you got your Bible out, you started reading, and man, it jumped almost out of you. It reached you deeply, revealed to something that was sometimes painful to have to look at about yourself. But you saw it in Scripture. You saw the hope that you had. You saw the ability to repent, and you, and you did that. But it's been a while since that has taken place. How do you get that back How do you hold on to that? How do you constantly see that when you open the Bible, it's the living word of God actually speaking to you? This is God's word. And through his Holy Spirit, he is cutting deep. He wants to move you. It's like to to every part of you, it can see and change and affect. There's a thing that we all have to deal with, though. There's a natural 
And if you don't know this, you're going to struggle with reading Scripture. Because of our rebellion against God, because of our, our rejection of what God has to say about himself as revealed through Scripture, the Bible says we are all separated from God. And when you accept Christ, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you see that Jesus is the answer, your eyes are woke up, you, be, are, you become alive. But your flesh still is sinful. Your flesh, so I'm going to get a new body. So there's this in us, this rejection that will always be there. There's always this rebellion against God. There will always be the saboteur in your life. It's your own flesh. It's going to sabotage you. It wants to say, no. No, don't listen to what he's saying. Don't read Scripture. It's not true. It's not sufficient. You're smarter than the Bible. The Bible isn't what you need, and it is our natural saboteur wants to sabotage us constantly, which we have to fight against through faith. The only way you're going to see Jesus in Scripture is by accepting him, trusting that he loves you, that he is the rescuer of your soul, and by turning your life over him and letting him be the leader of your life and asking him, Jesus, show me yourself through your word, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your word. You can't come to the Bible like it's some textbook and expect to have your life changed. You come to the Bible as a living word of God where God reveals himself to you. It's sufficient as we look into it. And if something's sufficient, if something's sufficient, and we trust it, we're going to lean into it. We're going to follow it. We're we're not going to look around looking for some other answer. When you see Jesus for who he is, trust him that that's what the word of God does and is, then the call is to keep leaning into it. Keep digging into it. Keep searching into it. Testing your feelings. Testing your life. Looking for the direction through Scripture. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to just soak in it, which means meditate in it, store it up, the Bible says, in our hearts and minds. Not just read it and move on. Think about what it says. This is the God of the universe through his son speaking to you, and he wants to speak directly to you through his word. Listen, we all deal with situations and struggles that we never expected that were going to fall on our plates. Most of us have gone through situations we thought, wow, I never thought that that would be the situation that I would find myself in. We don't know how to handle them. We don't know what to do with them. So what are you going to do with those things? You go to Scripture, and you say, this is a God who loves me, who went to the cross for me in all my pain, all my struggle. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be difficult. So God, show me what I need to know to handle this situation. Help me see it in your word. Don't walk away from it when it gets difficult. You soak yourself into it even more because this is where life is 
profound. And so you take the scriptures and you take your situation and you wrestle with it. You actually try to figure it out. And you you read scripture sometimes. Like, I don't like what that has to say. But just because you don't like what it has to say doesn't mean you walk away from it. If you're looking for Jesus, every conversation you've had with anybody that you care about has offended you at some point or not, hasn't it? If you have a real relationship with somebody, they're going to say something to you that you don't like. And what, are you just going to walk away? Not if they really love you. If you really, if, they, if the person that offends you really loves you, and you know that they love you, when they say that thing to you, which is very difficult to hear, you may pull back for a second. But when you know that you are so loved and so accepted by them, you're going to say, okay, there, there must be some truth to this. There's a reason why they would tell me this. They wouldn't tell me this to hurt me. They'd tell me this to help me. That's what scripture is. It's a God of the universe through his son Jesus who says, I know everything about you, and I love you, and I accept you. And so when I'm telling you this, it may hurt you a little bit, but it's to hurt you, to help you. And so we keep wrestling, we keep grappling, we keep soaking with God's word, and we look for Jesus as you go through scripture. And it's absolutely transformative in your life. So we need to soak in it. And we need to speak it. There is absolute power in the word of God. More than we can possibly imagine. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is living and active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. So we go to work and we get around a culture and we get around people that don't want to hear God's word, don't have any inclination whatsoever towards God's word. And many times Christians will say, well... They don't want to hear God's word, so I just won't say anything. Because it's awkward, it doesn't really make sense, they're not going to understand it. That's not what the Bible says to do at all. It says to speak it. Speak it lovingly, but speak it because there's absolute confidence that you can have as a Christian in the power of God's word. It has absolute life-transforming power. In the mid-1970s, there's a young man named Richard Elelu who lived in a suburb of Nigeria, a very Muslim suburb. And there's some Christians around there. They had these Bibles, and they'd pass them out. And the only thing that he said the Bibles were good for was to rip the pages out and roll up joints and cigarettes. And so that's what they'd do. They'd take the scriptures out. It was cheaper that way. So they'd take the Bible, rip the pages out, roll up cigarettes and joints, and smoke it. Well, one day, he got in the middle of something. He had to take the, rip the scripture out, couldn't make his cigarettes, so he stuck the passage, the paper in his pocket, couldn't sleep that night, pulled out the paper, started reading it, and the page was Psalm 34 that said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. And those words gripped him. And for three weeks, he couldn't get those words out of his mind until finally he had to go see somebody and talk to them. And he became a Christian through the power of the word of God, had no inclination for God's word, had no desire for God's word, but it was the actual words of scripture that gripped him because the Bible is a living and active. So if you're at work and you think, nobody here wants to hear the Bible, true. Nobody there wants to hear the Bible spoken from an idiot who does it like a jerk. So don't do it that way. But if you speak the Bible in a way that is loving and kind and with the confidence that this is God's word. Let the word be active and powerful. Don't be afraid to speak it. 
There is living power in God's word. So soak in it, speak it, and celebrate in it. You'll know that your life is being transformed by Scripture, and that you're believing in the sufficiency of Scripture. When you are reading it, and nothing's changing over here in your situation, but you are still celebrating what it has to say over here. You're reading it, and you're struggling with it, you're grappling with it, you're weeping over it sometimes, but you believe it. And you believe it. And you know it's true, and it's changing your feelings, changing your emotions, and you're rejoicing, not necessarily in your circumstances, but you're rejoicing at what it says, and you're celebrating in it, 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 there's absolute power and sufficiency in Scripture. Because Scripture says this to us, that the posture of God to us is not his arms folded and angry to us. Scripture says the posture of God to us is his arms out just saying, come. All you who are weary, come, and I will give you rest. You say, man, I got some big issues, Paul, with the Bible. I got some real big issues and struggles with God. The whole time, Jesus is saying, come. Come to me. Bring your struggles. Bring your issues. Bring your questions. Bring your problems. Let me speak to you through your word. Because what you're going to find from Scripture is God is near to the brokenhearted. He loves the unlovable. He's forgiving to sinners. He has unbelievable grace for those who will come. And you can have absolute confidence this year that the scriptures are sufficient. Finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is, it's okay The last thing I need is to be heard But to hear what you would say Word of God speak you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness, word of God speak. In the midst of you Beyond the music Beyond the noise All that I need Is to be with you And in the quiet Hear your voice Word of God speak Would you pour down 
Funny thing is, it's okay. 